Welcome to Patch Notes. My name is Trevor Strong Kegelbahn on Twitter, and I'm here uh, as always with uh, Mr. Jonathan Bernhard, uh, who is not antagonizing Kotaku workers at the moment. Correct, not at the moment. Wow. Um, me and Jim Spanfeller have decided to lay off for the night or the weekend, hopefully. Weird, weird choice of words, layoff, but... Uh, mm, was it, though? Uh, well, yeah, maybe uh, appropriate choice of words, then. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, hello. Uh, welcome welcome to Patch Notes, John, on a, uh, a truly dire week for media. It's not been good. It's been bad. It's been bad. It's been, like, definitionally bad. And news just came out that, uh, that uh, Geo Media is going to try and... Sell clickhole to Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, we are recording this late Friday night. Um, yeah, it's 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 after dark, for for real though. Yeah. Um, so let's just start with with what's going on over on over at Geo Media. Yeah, there's not really any news that's more important than as this. Gizmodo Media Group, formerly known as Gawker. Um, so far, there, there's been hints that the problems that that collective is having with their <laughs> usually dipshit bosses um are going to affect uh kotaku uh which is what predominantly concerns this podcast well but, we already lost jason schreier right um i'm not sure it it seems unclear uh, okay. there was early there was reporting all right so what happened what's happened this week is that um on monday uh shithead uh, ownership flack hired gun Paul Maidmont, who is now the executive editor at Deadspin. Oh, good. I thought um, you were going to say uh, Jim Spanfeller because he owns this podcast now. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, his mistake, by the way, paying yeah, three well, million dollars. You know, for it's it. fine. These <laughs> valuation guys always screw up. Uh, yeah. Hope so, you're hope you're keeping yourself warm with your three million dollars. Yeah. So Maidmont, um, this 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 motherfucker, he uh, set out an edict saying that Deadspin now had to stick to sports. Right. Um, which is, that's a political decision. Like, we don't have to belabor, like, this isn't a sports podcast, but anybody who has trafficked in sports discourse over the last four years know that knows that sp- stick to sports is a right-wing talking point for shut the fuck up about politics. Well, and the, the other thing about it is... are only for the right. The only thing, the other thing about it is the, the way that Kotaku works. I'm sorry, not Kotaku. The way that Deadspin works is such that, like, if you really wanted to uh, make a profit with Deadspin, if the whole point was like what they said, which is, oh, you know, it's it, this is about this is about making sure we get the right clicks on these articles. If they had more clicks, then you know, like people come here for sports, not mm-hmm. not extra stuff. But it, it, anyone who knows how, how Deadspin works knows that these that the 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 mix is what brings people to it. Like, yeah, the, I mean, this was not this was not about saving Deadspin from itself. This was, yeah, as you say, a political point. We're talking about a top 3,000 Alexa site, Alexa being a uh, back-end slash ranking agency type thing that ranks like every site on the internet. Being top 3,000 is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, so this was an entirely— well, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, no. No, it is, it is plummeting for reasons we will shortly get to. Uh, so uh, the staff did not take this well. Um, Barry Pacheski, the interim editor after making Greenwall quit, um, simply ignored the edict. Simply uh, ignored. Was actually, he, awesome. Uh, he basically just told him to go fuck himself, uh, themselves, and uh, he got fired for it. Uh, he was fired late Tuesday, I believe. And then between Wednesday and Friday, every single person working at Deadspin in a full time capacity or staff capacity resigned. Even, uh, um, even uh, like. Um Full-time freelance people. Yeah. Gabe Fernandez, I believe, yeah. said Gabe that quit. he would yeah. no longer work for them. A um, bunch of people who full-time freelance for them. You know, the, the people who helped keep that site up and running and should have had staff jobs and would have had staff jobs if the people in charge weren't huge dipshits. Um, they all quit. Uh, Dave Mc, uh, The last out the door was probably friend of the show, David Roth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and only... I, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Say why he stayed. Uh, he only stayed because uh, he had some freelance stuff that he had commissioned that he wanted to get on the site and therefore get his uh, people paid. Uh, which which is... apparently is the second time he's done that. Yeah, so... he did it with uh, with, with Vice Sports. I, was, I worked for Vice Sports at, well, as well at that time. Um, 
I was not a freelancer for Deadspin. I I was never published there, but uh, I was I worked with uh, Dave David at uh, Vice Sports when everyone at Vice Sports got fired. Uh, he did the same thing there, and he and I were both uh, fired over Twitter about eighteen months earlier by Sports on Earth. Yep. Um, so it's been kind of a rough f- uh, three or four years in the sports media business. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, the actual the actual final confirmed firing was a uh, uh, resignation, I should say, uh, was of Dave McKenna, who is a old school like you know actual newspaper reporter. He was part of the editorial staff, and the reason is he was the last <laughs> one is because Dave McKenna isn't on Twitter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So they had to. So the Washington Post had to actually call him up and ask him if he was still employed there. And, you know, Are you he, uh... he Oh yeah, no, no, I'm done. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, he was gone. Um, so then, uh, today's drama, Friday's drama, um, was that some enterprising scab from the Chicago area, whose name I've already forgotten, and it isn't important, Not super important, um, decided to like cold pitch the tips email address tips at deadspin.com literally just like sent them a full column in the tips oh is that how it worked yeah yeah that's what he did he he was was cold pitching so he sent them a full column at the tips line and apparently got like a one line response from paul maidmont saying thanks we can use this never negotiated a rate never got a deal in writing never got anything and they just ran his column about um Draymond Green. Uh, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant beating the shit out of each other, I think is what it was. Um, very, very topical. Very topical. Very not racist at all. Um, ran that unedited on Deadspin as the sole new content that the site put up on Friday. Well, that and a well, no, we'll get to that. Prince Harry. Yeah, that uh, was by reprinted. The staff. Oh, oh, have they already started doing that? Have they already started? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. That was by Deadspin staff. All right, so what they're doing is uh, – so so what happened with this article is that the guy got it published and started promoting it, and then like 1,400 people responded to his tweet saying scab. Um, so he – Including you. I saw you in the yes, replies. I was in there because he's a scab. But no, you were saying congrats. Uh, I hope it's – Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was I – was, telling him good job and that uh i was glad that my recommendation to jim to bring him on board <laughs> paid off um no no so uh yeah they he uh, deleted the tweet posted an apology it seemed as far as like i don't think it was sincere in the sense that he didn't know what he was doing in the first place he just didn't expect it to be punished for it but as far as scabbing apologies go it was pretty good and, yeah I, I just think he's not like I, I don't mean to be mean here but i just think he's kind of a just kind of just a guy. Yeah. Like he's not he's not brilliant. I don't think he's like well, the a blog mastermind. <laughs> the blog <laughs> sucks. Kinda like, but yeah. Yeah, I mean and no and I and I think it was better strategically for everyone to forgive him than it was for them to do the opposite because it costs nothing. And honestly the point you're trying to make here isn't to this dude, it's to the bosses. Mm-hmm. Um and right. so if the one freelancer they were able to bring in through the fucking tips line um, is is like, yeah, I'm never going to work for these people again, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then later in the day, what they do, they started doing is unpublishing blogs that have been published months earlier and then reposting them like they were new. Yeah, apparently some of that is, is coming from inside the building because there's, a, there's a, one of the people um, – I don't remember her name off the top of my head, and, and I'm, I'm sorry for that, but one of the people who worked for Deadspin – who gave her two weeks and they're honoring her two weeks up? Uh, Diana. A bunch of video content up. Like, so uh, that, Lauren? Uh, Sounds like it, a, whatever. I don't think it's it one was Lauren. Them. It could have been Lauren. Um, I can't remember which, who it was. But in, in any case, they pushed uh, old content up. So, like Roth and the, uh, you know, the. Um, I think this was Diana Moskowitz. Yes, it was Diana. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that all that was pushed off so that they weren't using their zombified. <laughs> like post quitting mm-hmm. corpses uh, in video to promote the new site. Um, I feel like some of the stuff that was promoted, like uh, Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez can't be stopped, <laughs> may may have been intentional. 
Yeah, no, uh, and Diana got some of her posts nuked as well. Well, moved mm. back a month unpublished, basically. Yeah. Including like a November roundup on November 1st that was moved back to October 1st. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, Paul. Excellent work. Um, no, so yeah, as you said, the Deadspin staff thing's going to become the new normal. What they're going to do is they're going to hire freelancers um, at cents on the dollar. And then everything's going to be posted in some like bizarre economist style. Um, you know, everything's written by the Deadspin staff. Who are they? No one knows. Comments are still disabled mm-hmm. uh, and will be forever, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, and and how this affects gaming, of course, is that the rest of Gizmodo Media Group's union is not taking this lying down. Um, and have I, I believe there have already been several, a couple high-profile resignations at Gizmodo. I believe the head of, uh, like, sale ad sales or commerce over at Gizmodo resigned today. Um, yeah, the guy who ran uh, Kinja Deals. Yeah, yeah. And there's there was a piece that went up on Gizmodo.com itself. And Gizmodo is the new gawker in terms of what's the center of that property. Gizmodo right. is the big site. Deadspin was the second biggest site. And after that, you've got, you've got your Jezebel and your Gotaku and stuff like that. I would say Gotaku is a, is a solid third. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they put up an uh, article titled How to Write an Open Letter to Your Shithead Boss. Um, it was kind of clear what the actual point of that article was, but it did provide good instructions. Um, so, and obviously, as we mentioned, just before we started recording, uh, it came out that Spanfeller is trying to sell off, uh, Clickhole to the Cards Against Humanity people, which probably isn't legal under their CBA, but it's clearly obvious that Spanfeller doesn't care about that. He's already violated it three or four times. Oh yeah, he violated it by, um... Firing Barry. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was, like, yeah. the whole thing. He just fired him, and but you can't just Hell, do that. He, the first time he violated it was when he removed the uh, send some feedback to our bosses uh, posts <laughs> back on yep. Monday or something. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we have no idea whether Kotaki is going to be with us the next time we record. Um, Kotaki obviously it's... wasn't without its problems, but, oh, sure. you know, it's going to be worse without it there than it was with it there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because, like, you don't want to see what happened to Deadspin happen to another site. Because mm-hmm. losing Deadspin is a big deal. Um, losing that area of sports writing is a hard pill to swallow. It was a really, really good place for sports writing. It was um, consistently one of the best. Uh, and, and maybe the only place with, like, its sort of unique editorial... Vision? Yes and uh, no. I mean, the dead spin was represented in two other places, that same sort of style. Uh, sports on Earth and Vice Sports, uh, both of which also got murdered. Right. So at this point... Uh, but Yeah, I don't think there's anyone left. I think that's basically it. That's pretty much it. But the, you know, the, the, thing, about, the thing about dead spin that is also true is that, I mean, it died when... It died before everyone left. Yeah. Uh, the fact that everyone left is just an acknowledgement that, hey, look like... We get it. This is the end of the line for uh for this site, and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna sit around while it like bleeds out. I mean, everyone um, knew this was gonna happen the moment uh, Laura Wagner posted that. Uh, oh yeah. deep dive. On Here's how, how things. Sort of yeah, this is how of, things work. Yeah, uh, and I mean, so like the. Yeah, I mean, like the. I, I think like the main thing that I see happening is that this is just gonna happen to all the the ex gawker sites. Um, and I, I Kotaku is just going to end up. I think Kotaku is going to end up kind of like living this marginal existence for maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month. But uh, the marginal existence will be people wanting to leave or leaving, and eventually there'll be a, an exodus. It won't be as 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 big a deal as the as the Deadspin one. I, I can't. Maybe it will. I mean, what if what if he just wants to start fights the rest of his time in ownership of these? He, he might because but, he hasn't stopped since he started. But who who are they going to fire at Kotaku? That's going to be as much of a uh, call to arms that, oh, no as one. as Pachetsky. I mean, what, I mean there's like no one. Tim, what's his name? Tim Rogers. Tim Rogers is there. I don't think if they. I mean, no, Tim, no. Tim's a big deal writer, but like, I don't think. He, do, he will not inspire like, that sort of loyalty. 
No, and I mean, if Schreier already ostensibly got left or got fired or whatever, we're just kind of waiting for that acknowledgement. I I think he's the only person that could actually make that happen. Maybe, like, Chris Person. Uh, Apparently uh, that news got walked back a little bit. There was news that they were going to clean house over at Kotaku, and that turned out not to be quite true, but everything is still very much in limbo. I mean, maybe if they got rid of the video stuff. Yeah. uh, But, yeah, like... I, I like a lot of people like Kotaku. Um, I I think there's a lot of really good writers. I don't see... It's not the sort of like old gray lady of uh, weird internet blogging as Deadspin was. That I, I just... I, I see it being a drawn out process. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, I don't think they have any less um, integrity than than the folks at Deadspin. Mm-hmm. I just... I, I think it's going to be harder to have that singular watershed moment yeah well i mean here's the thing it's it's not even just watershed moments though it's a process it's a building you know a snowball rolling downhill deadspin started it but if Clickhole goes and then kotaku goes and then gizmodo goes it's just this guy's name is the spanfeller jackass's name is going to be in the news for the next you know six weeks seven weeks and and, you know he's rich he'll die rich um but at least he'll die um but, you know, he, he shouldn't be able to go anywhere for the rest of his life, especially not anywhere in the media circle without being reminded of this. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I um, I wonder if that's going to be the case. I mean, he's just a VC moron. Um, uh, he, I mean, he, was, he ran a Forbes vertical into the ground back in 2006, which I believe is his previous claim to fame, which makes sense because <laughs> every single thing he's doing with you. Like, so my thing has been I've been pushing from the start that he's he came in to assassinate uh, Deadspin slash Gizmodo Media Group. He came in to kill it on purpose okay. for yeah, political sure. reasons. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and working. you know, and here's the thing about American society right now and for a long time is that pretending to be stupid gets you out of a lot of shit. So the difference between a guy maliciously destroying Deadspin and a guy, Mr. Magooing his way through destroying Deadspin, <laughs> right. probably from the outside looks about the same. Um, and he's just been using all of these 2006-era ad-buy tactics, which suck shit, but they get money up front. Like, they made a million-dollar deal with Farmers Insurance to just blitz ads, autoplay ads, every time you opened up Deadspin. Yep. Now, a $1 million deal with Farmers Insurance, that's going to destroy long term it's going to destroy the site you know hit rate it's going to destroy traffic because people aren't going to want to come to the site when it looks like that but, but while you you've got the traffic you get the million dollars up front and you pump that all into bonuses and then at year three or whenever when all the traffic has gone away because you burned it all on these upfront deals well look at all the money you got in those bonuses and you just flatten and you ship it off just like he's doing with Clickhole right now to the Cards yeah. Against Humanity people. It's really grim. I can't wait for the new Clickhole article, Monkey Cheese Dishwasher. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds a little bit more like The Onion. Clickhole would maybe, be like, here, is, uh, here are ten things shakes. about Monkey Cheese Dishwashers that you yeah. didn't know you oh, knew. It's so depressing. Yeah. Um, well, it's a bad time for media. Um, hopefully, I, I don't know. It will... We'll just see how it goes. Hopefully, um, friends of the show at Kotaku are not um, going to be losing their jobs. Yeah. Or if they do lose yeah. their jobs, they lose them the way they want to lose them. Yeah, and we can only hope that they find more work. Um, yeah. There's no easy solution forward, though. If anyone tells you there's one, they're selling you a, be- uh, a, uh, a bill of goods. I mean, there's a clear solution, legal. people's war. But there's not an easy well, solution. Okay, fine. Yeah, but <laughs> other than that, um, yeah. Uh, so what's next? You want to talk about uh, want to talk about sequels, or do you want to talk about upcoming games? Oh, let's talk about. Aren't they both the same? Let's see. Let's start no. with. Let's, <laughs> they are not. Let's start with the Highway of Death. Considering okay. our previous um, conversation yeah. topics, this is like similarly dire, it's grim. Um, so Call of Duty is uh, it's warfare, heavy on yeah. war crimes this time. Am I yeah, right? they, it is. Um, I've I haven't played any of it. I've watched some review footage. I've watched some stream footage. Uh, I don't have 175 gigabytes on my hard drive free right now to install the Messed game. Up. Um, 
but they do some they get up to some shit. I mean, the thing about from what I've seen of the new Call of Duty campaign is that it is um not particularly different in any real way from the 2004 Ridley Scott movie Body of Lies. Uh it's okay. basically the same plot except set in a fake version of Syria instead of Iraq. Uh, down to the idea of having the inciting incident being a terrorist bombing in uh, Great Britain. Uh, (laughs) That you then, that the uh, British then commit war crime, well, they're police, but, you know, that they then, you know, go in guns heavy and shoot a bunch of people. In uh, in the movie, it's Manchester. In the game, it's uh, somewhere in London. Um, Yeah. And it's it is justified, of course, because everybody's got their their finger on the bomb with these cell phone bombs, um, and then that that all justifies some CIA jackass's personal story with a you know a woman from the region happening over in the shit. Uh, it looks like basically the same setup, except a Ridley Scott movie is kind of fun to watch, uh, and this is a triple A video game. Um, so what yeah. what you're looking at is I mean, there's been some controversy about this the same way there's controversy every time one of these um, soul sucking games that uh, backs up American foreign policy objectives comes out. Uh, the particular thing that has been getting it review bombed, of course, is that in a cutscene when talking about the atrocities that have been performed on this fake Middle Eastern country that is obviously Syria uh, against this fake ethnic group, which is obviously the Kurds. How dare you just assume these things? There's, there are many groups in an amalgamation. It's Uzbekistan or something like that. Uzbekistan, something. Like, it, it's it's a. I hope you I hope you uh, told everyone about my new job as PR head of uh, uh, whatever company made Call of Duty. Uh, that would be Activision, I believe. Uh, okay, well, okay. Oh, God, uh, God is, is it, PR is head of Activision? Activision? I think it's Activision. Oh uh, God. Um, I gotta call someone quick, especially given what's been going on with Blizzard the last couple of weeks. Ooh, I made a bad choice. Um, but yeah, no, the, uh, so they're, they're going through the list of these atrocities that the Russians have committed. And these, of course, are the post-Soviet Russians, um, mm-hmm. who are, Naturally. yeah, that we, we totally didn't have a hand in setting up. God damn it. The Russians are evil now because of a lot of things, but mostly 2016. Um, so it's fine just to have them do any kind of shit in a video game. Uh, and, you know, honestly, that was kind of true before with – except before it was like the Russian ultra-nationalists. Like yeah. they were, they were always – it was always a dissident faction. Like they, was always, they always gestured towards the mean Chechens or something. Now um, it's just now or, or yes, or, or like the like, like revanchist communists if that makes <laughs> – it never made sense in the game. So it might as not make – well make sense in real life. Yeah. But uh, for this, it's just the straight-up Russians, and what they did is they, um, among the many war crimes they committed in this fake state, which is, I guess, a former member of the Soviet bloc, it's uh, fake Syria, it's borders Russia, it's within its zone of control, uh, is they did something called the Highway of Death, uh, where they <laughs> murdered a bunch of retreating soldiers and their families by bombing the highway down which they were fleeing. Now, those of you who are older than 16 or have ever used the internet in your life may recall that the highway of death is a very specific thing. Uh, it is what the United States forces did to retreating Iraqi forces from Kuwait um, during the first Gulf War. Uh, and it was basically precisely as is described in the game, except it was Americans doing it, not, not, not the Russians. Huh. And so how does the game... How does the game uh... How does the game handle this? I, like, how does the game handle the inclusion of something like the, uh, the, 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 the Road of Death? I mean, it's there for cheap heat, right? Like, it's there yeah. to, to make sure that you know that these Russians are bad guys and you shouldn't feel bad about knifing them in the throat with those lovingly rendered knifing animations or shooting them in the head. And, I mean, they, they go pretty far just to make sure, you know, the Russian make sure you know the Russians are killing all the men, raping all the women. Just, you know, we want that out there, maybe emphasizing it three to four times a mission just so you don't have to feel bad about, you know, torturing people, waterboarding people, you know. There, there apparently right. is an extended waterboarding sequence in the game. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if you are being waterboarded or you are the waterboarder. Um, I mean, I would assume it could be both. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> both sides. But... So- um. 
Yeah, so, and and the Call of Duty developers have tried to address this. There was an interview with uh, GameSpot um, that they gave, and this is with uh, narrative lead uh, Taylor Kurosaki, uh, and his, I'm going to read this verbatim. This is okay. starting with the interviewer, GameSpot. You mentioned pulling from real-world events, but then having it make sense in the context of what you're trying to do with modern warfare. Uzurkistan, that's its name, Uzurkistan, <laughs> is a fictional country, Uzurkistan. but you're bringing in a real-world event into a fictional country. Do you feel okay with the fact that the Highway of Death, literally name for ma- name, an American atrocity during the first Gulf War that was committed by Americans, has a mission briefing with Farah, who is the name of the female uh, insurgent, you know, fake okay. Kurd character, um, saying that Boy. what happened there was a Russian military terrorist attack. Do you feel like that was necessary? Are you okay with taking a real-world event but flipping the script in the same breath? And here is his response. Well, the first sentence of his response. I think you could probably find many instances of the words highway of death being used in a lot of cases. Ah. You cannot, by the way. That is a lie. Yeah, the ultra-common phrase we all use. Yeah, that ultra-common phrase. Um, he also he goes on to say, we have Russian antagonists and Russian heroes in this game. <laughs> okay. Um, uh-huh. I wonder who the Russian heroes are going to be. And his his statement concludes – I'll just read this, this in full. I think that this is a thing that we're really building awareness for. When I was a kid, I learned about a lot of stuff through things like Schoolhouse Rock. You know what I mean? I was singing songs and I was learning about real-world <laughs> things but in an entertaining fashion. And so I think that for people today, if we learn about some of those things – even while we're engaged in an interactive experience, I think that's still valuable. Schoolhouse Rock is not interactive, you motherfucker. You are watching television. But yes. It's really funny, like, the way people think about schools and education in this country. Um, it's really quite bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm imagining call, the idea of Call of Duty's campaign as a replacement for, uh, you know, modern U.S. history course for history in high class? school. Yeah. That would be great. Be that, great. Would, that would like, that would absolutely just like, I mean, if you like if you like accelerationism, buddy, let me tell you, I got something for you right now. It's right into a wall. Call of Duty, taught in every classroom. Every classroom. I mean, you've got you've got you know speculative fiction with uh, that one that was set in space that was all about the victory of fascism. You've got um, recent U.S. history uh, with the ones that were set in. Uh, you know, the modern day, the modern warfare period, which are about the victory of fascism. You have Future Empire and the space one. Yeah, you've got U.S. history, which is, you know, recent events in the past, which is about the victory of fascism and the ones set during Vietnam. I mean, you've just got so many, so many different articles. I mean, think about how much no Russian could teach you. Mm -hmm. Apparently, I've heard this game, like, described positively as just a series, an escalating series of no Russians, and I've feel like maybe someone missed the point somewhere along the line about not even just like, you know, what's decent or good or good thematically in a video game, but just how to design a narrative. Yeah, I mean, the idea that No Russian was about like something you would enjoy doing is very strange. Well, I mean, the idea is that you're supposed to not enjoy it, but you know, persevere through anyway. It's supposed to be that you're, you're justified in doing bad things because you were appropriately sad first. Yeah. Right? And, no, that's right. You know, and that's what this is all about. That's what this entire thing is. Well, it's, it's a Spec Ops thing, too. Yeah. Like, well, like no, Spec here, Ops that's a funny thing. That's a funny thing because Spec Ops' big turning point is that point where you, you white phosphorus the civilians, right? Correct, yes. In the that first, is a really, really hard scene. In the first mission... The first set piece of this entire game is you, a CIA agent, calling in a white phosphorus attack on a military base. It's fine because they're mercenaries. They're not oh wearing uniforms. And you can tell yeah. it's white phosphorus, not just because – I love when that – I love when they use that where it's like, no, no, they're mercenaries. Yeah. They don't they're, – They're not – the, the Geneva they're like, they're Conventions like don't apply. Yeah. So you can tell it's white phosphorus not just because like the fires are actually white and it's like clinging to their – to their outfits and burning them alive and they're dying screaming on the ground. But because White Phosphorus is a multiplayer kill streak award in this game. Oh no. Yeah. It's just there. 
And it's being used as a weapon. It's deployed as a weapon. It's an area effect attack. Yikes. Uh, yeah. For those who aren't aware, white phosphorus is banned by military treaty from being used as a weapon. It is supposed to be deployed only as a marker. Um, you know, as a as a way to light up an area. And so don't worry, the U.S. Better, is always abided by that. Yes, so, so you better have better uh, vis- visibility on a place that you're going to attack, not as a weapon itself, because what happens with white phosphorus is if it gets on your body, it burns through to your bones, and it doesn't stop. Like, you can't put it out with water. You can't put it out by rolling. Right. You, right. you know, you might be able to put it out by just, like, brute force dirt on top of it, but it will burn until it has nothing left to burn, which is you. That's what it's burning. That's why it's banned. That's why it's a war crime to use it against people. So, yeah, and, and that's why it was so bad in Spec Ops, because it was, it was the moment yeah. that your character had a psychotic break. But it was also the moment that culminated – it was the culmination of your character's degeneracy getting to that point. Anyway, right, and, and the player, the players eased into it where it's something like, oh yeah, like now you don't have that division between you and the monsters mm-hmm. anymore. You're you used this gleefully, and now you have to walk through the dead bodies. And anyway, yeah, it's it's the first action set piece in this game, um, so that's cool. Yeah, uh, very exciting. Can't wait to not play that one. Yeah, I mean. Um, that's the thing. I, even if I wanted to play it, uh, and, and you know, the multiplayer looks fun. The multiplayer has always been fun. Um, you know, it's just it's also a huge game. It costs a lot of money. You have to buy it in installments every year. Awful. And um, I, I got a white phosphorus guy five minutes into the game. Well, speaking of huge games. Um, um. I'm going to rush us through these because I am uh, falling asleep, ladies and gentlemen, falling asleep. Um, not because John is uninteresting. John mm. is fascinating. It's the only reason why I'm still up. But it's good. That's good. Where, that's where your mind went. Yeah, no, because I don't want to insult you. Mm. Um, Death Stranding is going to come out soon. Yeah. Um, I, haven't, I haven't really been reading the article, the reviews. Yeah. I'm writing one for a magazine myself, and uh, I don't get a pre-release review. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd Sony have would to only buy give it. out so many, um, and so I got a. Uh, I, I I pre-ordered. It was included in my fee. Um, it's there waiting for me, but I have to wait just like everyone else. Um, so trying not to like characterize it too much for myself because I'd like to write a very uh, objective review as far as I could, or like mm-hmm. approach it objectively. Um, but it looks weird, man. Does it? I, look, my my position it on this might be a f- is weird in a fun way. Well known. Uh, yeah. Which is that I think the story is going to be dog shit, but I'm really looking forward to what he does with the gameplay. And so far, the reviews have been like all tens or all zeros. Uh, yeah. So it, it looks like I, it's going to be extremely divisive. Yeah, my problem with Kojima is that he needed an editor as far back as Metal Gear Solid 4. Metal Gear Solid 4 was not a good game in terms of its story content. He right. needed an editor, he didn't have one. He was too successful at that point. Metal Gear Solid 5 was worse. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, this will be even worse than that. Um, what it's led to are these gaudy, overproduced, ridiculous, and fascinating, uh, deeply flawed games. Um, and Death Stranding looks like it's leaning into all of those uh, Kojima ticks times like 40. Yeah, uh, it's all like it, – it seems like he's using a lot of um, like weird mechanics mm-hmm. uh, that don't – provide a lot like the pizza balancing and stuff like that it's very very it's a very weird experience it sounds absolutely bizarre um, i was talking about this with my friend vinicius um and he was saying you know like when does when does a game like um uh metal gear solid or like i'm sorry like death stranding mm-hmm. uh, just try to do something that is like that indie games do much better and it just fails because it's not that like a game about balance that was i don't know like it's just it's just a weird thing like oh so not even game about balance but like a truly experimental game like anodyne 2 or new ice york or something like that probably is going to go a little harder in the experimentation than death stranding right i mean it needs to be said that death stranding is not an experimental game this is a third person action game just made by an insane man or a man who Whose reach probably exceeds his grasp, 
um, mm-hmm. at least in the storytelling part and maybe in the game design part. Uh, I believe Danny O'Dwyer from Noclip, his, his description of it was uh, La- Lars von Trier's Noby Noby Boy. Um, <laughs> Noby Noby Boy being a PlayStation title that was mainly concerned with traversal. Um, I, I believe there was a similar description of it uh, having to do with American Truck Simulator. Uh, it, it is a traversal game. It's a game about going places. It is a game about, it is an encumbrance based game. It is a game based on all of the mechanics of third person action games that people hate. And And an encumbrance based game makes me sound, makes it sound like it's going to be truly a nightmare. Well, yes. I mean, even the best reviews say that you're going to hate it for the first eight hours, which is the sign of a bad game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, until you get Stockholm syndrome and yeah. finishing it. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and I'm I'm sort of looking for. I'm I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it now. If I don't have it comped from somebody, which I don't think I will, I might just wait for the PC release. That's reasonable. Um, and you know, we'll see how it goes with when, when people are able, able to actually show it. Because right now, it's a, it's still in the embargo period where they're only allowed to show like 20 minutes of gameplay. Uh, but it, my okay. biggest concern, of course, at the front was that it was hiding something. It was like a, a bait and switch that it was actually going to be an action game, an open world action game like Metal Gear Solid Five, but that mm-hmm. they were like front loading all of the stuff about traversal to make it look like this crazy <laughs> game. <coughs> Excuse me. It's all right. And that's not the case. It is no, just as crazy all. as it looked like at the beginning. Um, and, you know, I'm. it's not my money. I'm not the guy who paid Kojima all this money to make this game. So I am here for the giant budget disaster, um, especially if it's as interesting as it looks like it's going to be, even if it's a nightmare to play. Yeah, it should be. A, I mean, it should give us something to talk about. Yeah. Um, not to rush you along. But I want to get there before I pass out. Right. Um, you want to just Diablo quickly talk about Diablo 4? Overwatch 2. No, oh, Diablo, 4, 4, yeah, 4, 4. 4. So we got multiples of 2 coming out of Blizzard. Uh, we there's we the can finally... leave Overwatch 2 for uh, something Let's with leave Liv. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I don't give a shit about Overwatch. <laughs> uh, and, but... and, and, the th- and the thing is, I went into those Overwatch 2 trailers being like, all right, there's a PvE component being introduced. I am opening my mind to Overwatch. And it made me hate it even more. Oh, wow. Okay, there you go. Um, it's like it, all the story stuff, all the lore stuff is like a Saturday morning cartoon being written by somebody who doesn't, who isn't good at writing and also doesn't think that Saturday morning cartoons deserve craft, so they're not trying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really insulting. Um, and I'd, I'd prefer they just not have any of the lore in Overwatch if that's what they're going to do with it. Um, but hey, I mean, it's not for I'm me. I'm famously not a big Overwatch lore guy. I, I, I'm with you. Despair for those who are. Um, but yeah, Diablo 4 put out two trailers. They put out a nine and a half minute cinematic trailer, which is one of the better trailers. I've, uh, one of the better, I mean, they, they haven't done story content from Diablo this good since Diablo 2. Huh. Um, Really, there's just one game that's criticizing, but, um, you know, that game was released like 12, 14, 15 years ago, something like that. Maybe well, longer. yeah, and then there, was the, then there was the phone port or yeah. the phone. Diablo Immortal is still rolling around out there somewhere. But the new, the new Diablo, uh, it's got your standard th- di- uh, decent Diablo things. It's got a bunch of mooks who aren't going to survive the cutscene running around a unlit dungeon hell with torches waving back and forth. None of them look like they've ever bathed. Uh, they're in ruins. They have you know to maybe open, they haven't. And they haven't. They have to open up this ancient door, which is clearly evil and requires a blood sacrifice. Um, it, like, this is clearly like, you know, Diablo 2 shit. You know, if you remember the original yeah. Diablo 2 cutscenes, uh, at, at, you know, the only real difference here is that instead of Marius, you've got a team of, like, dirtbag asshole grave robbers um right and you don't have any tyriel to be interesting uh and you then get ruined in diablo 3 um so they what they do is they they get into this tomb after being attacked by a bunch of undead things and turns out oops one of their numbers evil and the reason they're here is to resurrect some big bad and they do resurrect the big bad in you know gloriously bloody fashion uh and it's lilith so it appears that the villain of Diablo 4 isn't going to be Diablo. It's going to be Diablo's, like, mom or something. That's so wild. Like, the villain has always been Diablo. It, it's yeah. sort of like when, uh, when, when the last 
boss in uh, Beowulf ended up being Grendel's mom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I remember that game. The hmm. the uh, no, I, I think Diablo will still be involved um, because they make a big deal about the three. And you know, if you play Diablo, the three are Mephisto, Bale, and Diablo. That's who they are. Uh, so one assumes that eventually, by the end of the, of Diablo Four, Diablo will actually be important and huge and a, a problem again. Uh, yeah. Now Lilith, maybe I'm being unfair by saying that she looks like uh, she's restoring balance to the Blizzard universe with the law of the <laughs> of uh, conservation of Kerrigans, but she is another sleek, badass, corrupt queen. Um, with curves in all the right places and a throne of blood. Right. Uh, um, right. You know, if, if you've seen one of Blizzard's femme fatales before, you've seen them all. She does not appear significantly different than those. That's fine as long as it's done well. Um, and I hope they do it well. Then they put out a right. gameplay trailer. And yeah, this... I thought the gameplay trailer looked fine, but I not great. I didn't. Um, really? So... One, the gameplay trailer is actually like half a cinematic trailer. Do oh, you notice? Okay. Like, yes. like half of it is is a guy talking to a grave, much like Marius from Diablo Two. It's wild. Uh, like, it's, it's a, massive, and it's a lot of like talking and getting upset. And, yeah, like, at, at a, and... while drinking, you know, as one does. Yeah. Um, and then intercut with this guy talking about how hell's coming to his brother's tombstone. You never see who the brother's name is on the tombstone, so you. Can't like maybe it's Kane's tombstone or something. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's just a random tombstone that they decided to put in the game for some reason. Because it's not like this cutscene is interesting. Like right. if the cutscene was interesting, fine. It doesn't. Act, you know, not every scene has to be has to involve the deep lore. Right. But if the scene isn't interesting, maybe it should involve the deep lore. <laughs> um, yeah, exposition can be what can be uh, sort of like uh, uh, polished up that way pretty easily. Yeah. So. Intercut with this guy talking to his bottle and his gravestone is um, it, it looks like pre-alpha footage to be nice. Uh, there's no UI. There are only three characters. Apparently, right. there's going to be five at launch, and two are being added later. The characters don't look great. Like not not from polish standpoint. The the uh -huh. game looks great. Blizzard has always had delivered good looking games. Oh yeah, for but sure. The designs just look brown and like they're all wearing like furs and leathers that are all uniformly brown that's just that's fantasy now we, yeah we but don't, it, we don't have any Diablo uh, 2 sorceress was all greens and blues and I'm, I'm angry um <laughs> but you know and they show really basic stuff like uh the it's three characters so you've got a warrior archetype a mage archetype and a rogue archetype um the rogue archetype is a is a double wielding guy not a not a bow person for this oh. for this uh purpose it looks like the warrior is like going to be a druid sort he transforms into a bear and eats some people uh the sorceress is a sorceress she shoots fire she shoots ice she shoots lightning um she's got maybe the most developed move set of any of the characters in there but you know it still all looks pretty basic um yeah and the rogue has one of the most interesting parts because he has – it looks like there's a lot more traversal in mm. this where, you know, you know how in previous Diablos you could – like if you were on top of a ledge, unless you had a specific move that traveled you down to the ledge below, like a leap for the barbarian or teleport for the sorceress, you had to walk around and walk down. He has some attacks that seem to carry him through enemies and over these these obstacles that you'd previously had to walk around Weird. in uh, former games. And there's also like mounts, like they show you. They show the sorceress, and I believe the it's the it's the druid that's in the party with her, uh, riding on horseback through a, a couple different biomes. I don't need mounts in my Diablo. <laughs> if the if the levels are so big that I have to traverse between encounters with enemies on a horse right. yeah then there's been a design failure like the game isn't here for me to be doing traversal that's what death stranding is for and so you know i'm not opposed to mounts if mounts are integrated into the game in a way that makes sense i'm for them yeah but unless i'm doing a lot of fighting from horseback i i want to be fighting i don't want to be traversing running between places is the least 
fun part of any Diablo like. Yeah, it's why you, I, you're able to town portal anywhere. And I think what I was what I was trying to say earlier was like the 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 nature of this game in terms of like what it brings to the table and what it knows it brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to really get that people aren't coming to Diablo for the things it's giving those people. Whereas, you know, Death Stranding can be a game about traversal and people are coming to it because it's like, hey, look, like, it's this weird game about traversal. And it's exactly what you sign up for. It's a weird game about something. Mm-hmm. Diablo and should be a a monster killer. About item drops. Yeah, and item apparently drops. they're it's... streamlining some of that. That's not good. Uh... I mean, there, there's there been some leaked screenshots with them only having items having attack and defense stats instead of, like, oh, all of the usual man. modifier. You it's know, good. whatever. They'll do what they do, and I'm sure this stuff will get through some level of QA. And Blizzard, I mean, I'd like to think Blizzard can't actually be... Uh, bad enough of this to tank it so hard after. Like, I didn't like I really Diablo 3's story. I mean, yeah. Uh, I didn't like Diablo 3's story. I'll never play its campaign again, but at least it got all of the the stuff right. It also the... could just be they don't care about Diablo anymore. I mean, that's that's the other yeah. possibility. I mean, be, that'd be stupid, but yeah. It would be I mean, stupid, but I mean... It's, that's it's... their... I mean, they killed StarCraft already, right? That's their... This is their only other non-MMO IP or a multiplayer IP. Yep. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's get to games so you can get to sleep. Yeah, sorry. Uh, games for me this week. Um, I have been playing um, playing a little Final Fantasy, like always, uh, but I've also been catching up on some stuff and, and playing games that I uh, need to catch up on. Um, the game I started that's new... Uh, is so I, I played a little more of NeoCab, which is fantastic. Um, I want to re uh, suggest that um, really, really good game at making an atmosphere. Um, the game I have been playing that I'm actually uh, surprised at how good it is compared to its uh, first. It's a sequel, but compared to the first game, it's even better. And I liked the first game is uh, Cytus, uh, Cytus 2 on the phone. I brought this up on this podcast before. It's a, a screen tapping rhythm game. But Cytus 2 is great. It has a whole storyline. It's it, the characterization's really neat. Uh, it, it totally revamps the process, and it is uh, just absolutely engrossing. So I would say absolutely pick that up. It's cheap. It's like a dollar, I think, or a dollar mm-hmm. maybe two um, on the, on the iOS. On iOS, I think it's on Android too. Um, it's just really, really good fun. Yeah, I have been playing The Outer Worlds. Oh, how have you liked that? Um. It's really good um, in ways that I feel the need to preemptively defend because if you liked Fallout New Vegas, this is another Fallout New Vegas. Okay. But if you know, if you feel like the game should have progressed some in terms of its mechanics since then, it has not. <laughs> uh, it is, you know, it, it, I'm getting a bit tired of the combat. I've been keeping it on normal. Um, yeah, I can understand seems, that. Like, the, the combat is more of a impediment to the stuff I actually love about the game, which are the characters, especially uh, Parvati and Ellie, uh, and, and even, like, Vicar Max and some of the, the more white-bred dudes who round out the companions list. It's one of those games. It's there, for, you're, it's, you know, you're there for the companions, you're there for the story, you're there for the setting, you're there for the social interactions. It's rapidly anti-capitalist. Sure. Uh, there was this this thing going around before with this reviewer who like had to agonize over whether to support a workers commune or Pinkerton their asses back to the factory. And they chose to Pinkerton them, but also negotiate for some reforms and the, and the game know, punished them. The reward they got for that game was good job. You taught us not to dream. Yeah. And that um, kind of like that kind of depressing answer. Like I, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's cool to get that sort of pushback from a game. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a game with an obvious ideology, but it's an ideology I agree with, um, and I don't feel like that's a bad thing for liking. Um, I don't feel no. like the game needs to be balanced, you know, and, and give the capitalists their due as well. Um, so so the the shooting isn't the best. It's it's tolerable. Um, that's the worst criticism I have of the game is that Yikes. the shooting is tolerable. Uh, it's not Destiny. It's not going to feel as good as Destiny. Um, 
beyond that, everything about it is fantastic. Story, it's a shame they the made characters. a game that needed to feel as good as Destiny to get people to be really excited about it. I mean, that is that's that's a critique I've seen is that you know well, no, and I've also seen that it's like not as good as Disco Elysium, which comparing it to Disco Elysium seems like downright insane. It's like, not the same uh, game. Well, the least Disco Elysium also doesn't have any shooting. Yeah. So, so what is you know what are we doing here? Um, uh, you know, and the content, uh, the the combat isn't unfun. It's just you know, it's Fallout New Vegas levels of fun, which is to say that it it's it happened before there were you know Diablo loot drops in all of these games. You know, you're not you're not going to get um, a rifle with cool modifiers dropping from every guy. You're going to get a rifle. You know, it's going to look like every other rifle that gets dropped. Um, and so, you know, combat can become repetitive, but it is, it can be enjoyable. It can be a fun tactical experience. You do have some limited abilities in your companions. Um, you know, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm cool. maybe, it, my biggest problem with it is it looks like it's going to be like kind of small and kind of short, um, which sort of makes sense for business reasons, given Obsidian's general deal. Um, while they were making this game, they were acquired by Microsoft. Right. Um, this is the last game they will be. Uh, sending out before that exclusive partnership uh, kicks in, so it sort of makes sense that maybe this wasn't this. This got sort of a truncated development cycle based on when they were acquired. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm I'm having a lot of fun with it. Well, good. I'm glad. I, it's one of those games that I'm definitely going to play soon. But I'm going to have to play Death Stranding first, and ugh, there's so much to do. Um, well, John, where can people find you this week? Uh, on Twitter. Okay, me too. Um, well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for putting up with me while I've been tired. Um, I don't think I've been this tired in a long time. That's very weird. Um, and thank you, John, for putting up with me while I'm tired. It's always fun to talk to you. And I, always I, a pleasure. I always appreciate your efforts. Um, and again, until next time, this has been, uh, this has been Patch Notes. Happy, happy gaming, everyone. Uh, fingers crossed we still have writing on the internet next week. Happy Halloween and welcome to <laughs> Happy spooky labor Halloween. <laughs>